Let's take our Bibles. You already know where we're going. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. There are portions of 1 Corinthians where, unlike the first eight messages, where we went quite slowly through a chapter because there's so much, there are some chapters that we just need to rip off the Band-Aid, get it done in one message because there's a lot of things that um, we don't want to miss, but also it's just very plain and very clear. Tonight's message is titled, Church Discipline is Real. Now, if you are listening to Bibleline Broadcast Network, in season one, when it was called Calvary Connect, I interviewed my mother and father-in-law, Steve and Ann Yant, and they talked about the church that they came from. And that church, I don't, I don't remember what kind of, it was Pentecostal, right? It was Pentecostal, and they had some extra-biblical church discipline, some things that we don't have any case in the Bible to make an issue out of those things, yet they were big points. For example, you couldn't own anything that was red, right? If you had a red car, you, you're, you're at risk of leaving the, you know, being asked to leave the church. If you wanted to, uh, my mother-in-law had someone who was sick, and she needed to travel, and that would require her to miss a couple of services. I don't think it was a lot. She had to seek permission first, uh, because that's how it's supposed to be uh, in the church, and that's, that's not true. The church is to be involved uh, to an extent. One of my points, and I'll just say it because we're on the topic here, we need to be vigilant and protect one another, but we should not be inspectors of people's lives. Our goal is to not come to church and have a magnifying glass and ask probing questions and try to pry into somebody's life and expose them of sin. The Holy Spirit, someone once told me, the Holy Spirit does a great job of convicting. He doesn't need you to take his place. But unfortunately, in a lot of churches where church discipline is, is a very real thing, it goes past what is biblical. You and I need to make sure that the choices that we're making in our life reflect godliness. As Paul says in Philippians 2, let this mind be in you. And he's talking about humility, that attitude, walking in the spirit and not satisfying the desires of the flesh. That's your job to look at that in your own life. That is between you and the Lord. And there are times where if we're not walking in the spirit, things will be made known. And a loving Christian will help you make a better decision. And that sometimes involves correcting. And now in, in church leadership, for example, uh, a Sunday school teacher or maybe a Bible college professor or a dean who is supposed to look over the things and happenings of students or somebody who has authority in the church, like a pastor or an elder. There are times where we biblically have to separate from an individual. I'm glad to say it's rare. I, I haven't experienced a lot of it, but I, I have seen some of it. And there are biblical cases where we have to take an individual because they're not willing to do right. They've been called on something that's wrong, it's sinful. 
There's a biblical definition for it. We follow the principles that Jesus laid out. You go to an individual one-on-one. If they don't correct the issue, you go to that individual with another person. If that's not resolved, you bring it before the church. I have not seen that last step happen because usually people make the decision to just leave if it's something that they're not willing to change. But there's a balance that you and I have to be aware of, and the best way I think we can look at a specific issue is to see a real-life case study of the church of Corinth. What was the main problem with the church of Corinth? They were puffed up in their own knowledge. That's the source. Everything else, including what we'll talk about tonight, is just a byproduct of that. They were puffed up in their own knowledge. Specifically, they were heaping unto themselves teachers. And when you have a source, when you have an unlimited resource of teachers, you have to be careful that those teachers don't replace your study of the Word of God. And I think we're living in a, in a culture where that is very easy to do. If you were to go on YouTube and you type in Bible study, there are pages upon pages upon pages of content, people that have made videos specifically targeted to answer that question, to meet that, to meet that search term. People get paid hundreds of thousands of dollars a year in search engine optimization, how they can take words that you type into your browser and give content to you. There is plenty of content for you to take a hold of. I see what happens with many young Christians who come out of lordship, salvation, and into grace. They begin to just find teachers and preachers that they like, all right? And there's nothing wrong with that, but over time, they think that they understand the whole Bible, and they can now better learn from this man, this ministry, and they don't allow the Bible to still be the supreme source of information and authority in their lives. So they become, I'm a blank person, uh, and they identify themselves with it. Have we seen something like this before? I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Peter. I mean, it was happening in Corinth. It's not a bad thing to have many sources of someone to teach you, okay? But it's a bad thing when those things replace or lead to you being puffed up in your knowledge. We need to constantly be humbling ourselves. And that's not to, you know, talk badly about ourselves or have a negative internal monologue. It is to recognize All that I have is because of what Jesus Christ has done for me, and God can teach me because I still have a lot to learn. The moment you think you've arrived is the moment you've gotten pretty far from arriving. (laughs) Here's the day that you will arrive when you just check on out, when you turn in the room key and you are present with Jesus. That's the day that you have arrived. So every time, or all the time we have from our salvation up until our death is an opportunity to learn and impact others. Now, having said that, we're going to look at a specific example as we're going through 1 Corinthians in our series titled Growing Pains. We're going to look at a specific problem that was happening in the Corinthian church, and it was sexual immorality. This, to you and me, in a very disciplined church where we study God's Word, it would be unthinkable to see what was happening in the Corinth. Uh, in, in, in the Corinthian church happening here. We would be like, never. <laughs> that would never happen. And this is not for us to have you know, crazy judgment against the Corinthians, but to see this is how far they were being led away of the truth. Let's look in 
verses 1 and 2. Focusing here on commonly reported and openly celebrated. It is reported commonly, and some translations of that word, not different Bible translations, but some understandings of that word is it is reported actually. That this is, this is a fact. This is not just something that I'm not sure if this is happening. No, Paul is saying, we've heard this. This is a factual statement. That there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. So a young man, or I don't know how old he is, but a man is choosing to have sexual relations with his father's wife. And this is commonly reported. It's not something that had been hidden. It wasn't something that needed to be revealed and then it was open. This was a normal I don't want to say normal, but they were, they were aware of this. It was known. And I think it's important that Paul makes a distinction here, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, meaning even the, the Gentiles who are considered by many Jewish people to be the heathen ones, they're not even commonly practicing this thing. You are. Look at what it says in verse 2. And you should mark this, and ye are puffed up. They're puffed up about it. I mean, can you imagine? I, I, I'm at a loss for words when I think about the state of this ministry that is being described here. An act like that being said, it's commonly reported, and you're puffed up in it. Look what it says. And have not rather mourned, like you should have, that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. So there's a point where this individual, because of his actions, needs to be removed from the ministry. Why, why does Paul say that? Well, we're going to get into it more, but I want you to understand that as a body of believers, when we come together, we are supposed to live a holy and separated life. It is a choice that we make, but it is highly advised that you make it. And unfortunately, in this particular ministry that we're studying here, they were not making that distinction. Paul is saying you should have the opposite reaction. This should cause mourning that leads to action of removing this individual if they're not willing to get right. And I can see that today in a lot of ministries. A lot of ministries are beginning to openly celebrate sin, welcoming it, saying it's like a badge of honor. We support list something here. That's not a mark of God's love. It's a mark of an acceptance of sin. It is a lack of discipline. Discipline is not fun. It's not supposed to be. When you have to correct a child, it is because a child is doing wrong, and you've got to break that child's will by showing them what's right. And I'm not saying you have to beat the child senseless. That's not my point here. But correction is not a fun thing. And if we were to look in Hebrews 12, we see how uh, Paul says, your father's corrected you, and it was, it was not fun. It was not joyful. But when the Lord corrects you, even though it will be uncomfortable, it leads to joy. It leads to something changing for the person that accepts that obedience. 
So the Corinthian church here should have brought that individual before whoever had originally made the claim, verify that this had happened, and try to get the person to change or quit their action. This has nothing to do with salvation. This has everything to do with service. Isn't it interesting that even a person here that we're going to talk about, you'll see a phrase, to deliver such a one up to Satan, he, that, that brother is still saved? There's not a time where, even in that verse where Paul is saying, remove him from the body of Christ and place him into eternal damnation. Again, that's not what Paul means. When Paul wrote in, in, in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians that you are sanctified, you're called saints among this congregation and amongst the whole world of anyone who believes on Jesus, he's even talking about this individual here. And that is why Paul is saying you need to remove this kind of individual because it's not going to lead to any type of success for your ministry, any type of growth. And any growth that you do think you're having, it's because you're puffed up in your own wisdom and in your own knowledge. Can you see in a world today where pastors' jobs are extremely tough, when someone who is caught in sin, doing something wrong, you have a biblical responsibility to help that person. It's not to hurt them, but because of the way the world is, if you even so much as say something to them that is mean or unkind or insensitive, they could bring a case against you if they wanted to. They could call discrimination. They could ruin your ministry very easily, and the world is ready to do that. You've seen examples year after year after year of what's happening. And unfortunately, I think what a lot of pastors have done is they have just caved. They have taken a step back and said, well, I'm, I'm not going to, to do that anymore, and they leave the ministry. There's a, a delicate balance, but when there's sin, sin needs to be exposed. And, you know, I feel like it's my job when there's somebody that sin is brought to my attention. It's not, I don't get up here and like publicly broadcast it. That's, that's not how I'm supposed to, to deal with this. I go to the individual one-on-one -on -one out of love. It's not my job to absolutely destroy them and make them feel horrible. They probably feel pretty bad for what they've done, especially if it has to be exposed. But I'm supposed to try and win them back. So there's the extreme of church discipline, like my in-laws have experienced. I mean, you should listen to that podcast. It's, it's, it's sad. It's amazing, really, that Steve and Anne actually came back to church. Is that, that's not a stretch to say that. The fact that they came back here, she listened to Dr. Hank Lindstrom on the radio for a long time. And then when 9-11 uh, happened, they came and visited. They got saved. I met my wife here. I mean, you know, all, all these things, you can go into the how they're all connected. But the experience that they had turned them off for church for several years. There wasn't even a plan to have Kyla and Lucia in a church because of their experience. So there can be the opposite end of this, where pastors or leaders find out that someone has sin and they absolutely want to destroy them. They want to play God. And that's, that's not the right way to do it either. And we'll walk through that. So look at verse 3. For I say verily, as absent in the body, I'm not there, but present in the Spirit. We're all of the same body of Christ. I've judged this already, as though I were present concerning him that hath so done this deed. 
in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such a one unto Satan, and here's why a good Bible student would understand deliver him up to Satan for a specific purpose. Just because someone is being delivered up to Satan doesn't mean that they're losing their eternal life or that they're going to hell. What does it say? For the destruction of the what? Flesh. This is how grievous this sin was. It would be better if this man was done with his life here than to continue doing harm to himself and to you. Destruction of the flesh that the Spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. He's still going to heaven. There's not a doubt in that. But if he's not willing to quit his behavior, first of all, he should not be in your ministry. And, and Paul's not saying you need to kill him. That's not what he's saying here. But it's better that that man is, is, is no longer able to continue to sin by living this kind of life. And then he says, just a very plain statement in verse 6. Your glorying is not good. Paul says their glorying is not good. This means that they were glorying. You know what glorying is? It's lifting it up, saying, look at this. I mean, you see it all the time in sports. If you're a Tampa Bay fan, you've been seeing it a lot. A lot of trophies coming up in these players' hands. That, that's glorying it. They're showing it on TV. There's news articles about it. I don't know to what extent the Corinthian church was glorying this behavior, but they were, they were proud of it. They were proud of it. Look at the rest of this. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Leaven, when you see that in the Bible, is never a good thing. It's never a good thing. Jesus has many examples of leaven here, but look what it says here in verse 7. Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. If Jesus has died for every single person and has given those who believe everlasting life, it's not good to have an individual in the ministry like this because it damages that message. It brings error and criticism to that message. It breaks my heart when I find out that good men of God fall. But it happens. And you know what? Sadly, we've almost come to expect it. The world is full of scandal. The world is full of just wicked things. If you uh, uh, have been paying attention, I actually was, this was brought to my attention a couple of days ago. Um, the great Christian apologist that died recently, Ravi Zacharias. Uh, I, I don't think he was clear on the gospel. The reason why I say that is it took me a long time to find out what his position on the gospel was. And then when I did find out what it is, it's about an 18-minute video, and it's not clear at all. I, I still don't really know what he believed about how a person goes to heaven. Well, there are some things that have come out since his passing that have brought misconduct against his name. They're allegations. I don't know the truth of it. But there's a lot of damage that can be done to sin that is tolerated in a ministry. Now, again, we don't take that to the extreme, and every time you come in the door, we need to check where you've been. We need to check what you've done. I mean, we don't have to do that. Your iPhone does that for you. <laughs> it tracks you anyway. 
But it's not our job to be the inspectors in each person's life. But when things are made aware, we need to try and win that person. And I want to show you that in Scripture here because Paul also wrote the book of Galatians and he says something specifically in there that we need to see. So let's go to Galatians chapter 6. You can uh, hold on to 1 Corinthians 5. Galatians chapter 6 on page 1247. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, and here's the distinction that is made here, ye that are spiritual, you that are walking in the Spirit, you're doing right. You're living a disciplined, separated life. You, those people, need to restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. I don't think that Paul is saying because you can be tempted of the same sin. But I think what Paul is saying is because you can be tempted to sin in how you address it. If we, need to, if we need to look at a believer that is doing wrong and we need to correct them, we need to do it in the spirit of meekness. There is a place for when voices get raised. I've been in conversations like that. But if you, as the person who's coming to help an individual, are the one coming with the raised voice and the hot temper, and you're really just wanting to express to them how angry you are at them for what they have done, you need to check if that's the spirit of meekness. When Christ spoke strongly, he spoke from a position of truth. You, Pharisees, are like whited sepulchers. You're nice on the outside, you're rotting on the inside. Jesus also wept for Jerusalem. How often I would have gathered you together, but you would not. He flipped tables too. You have made my father's house a house of merchandise. He spoke strongly to those who asked questions with the whole purpose of trying to trap him. Yet in all of those conversations, he never sinned. This is why when it says in Philippians 2, to let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, that we look at ourselves when we have to address an issue and say, how can I approach this with the spirit of meekness? Considering myself that I may be tempted to sin in this matter. Continue on in verse 2. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man... If a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. What does that mean? If a man is lifted up in the way he does things, in the way that, well, look at me, I'm walking so spiritually, you're nothing without the Holy Spirit. This is what I said when we were talking earlier about humbling a person's self. Without Christ, we don't have anything. With Christ, we have everything because of Him, not because of you. And it's very easy to get into this pattern. It is, especially for, for, for preachers and teachers. Because you know what happens? That was such a good message. Or you get an email that's just so, oh, it's so nice. And if you're not careful, it's like air directly to the head. And you try to walk out of your office and 
why can't I get through the door? Well, your head's so big. It wasn't like that when you walked in. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Or maybe you have a, you're developing a Sunday school program or you're going through curriculum or you're teaching a class, whatever it is. Make sure that you are constantly reminding yourself everything that I have, all the ability that I have to do this teaching and serve in a ministry and, and be a help and a blessing to other people is because of what Christ has done for me. This is why I believe it's important to be thankful. Thankful for what? What God has given you in His Word, in your, in your mind's ability to understand and design things that help people. But the moment you think it's about you, you are in danger of being lifted up in pride and moving a person away from, from God and towards you. Now, that's not to say that naturally there will be an appeal. People will follow an individual. But when you begin to make that a part of who you are and that's why you do what you do, you need, you need to check yourself. Look at verse 4. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. We need to be willing to help those that need help, but also recognize that we ourselves need help. This is the attitude with which I believe Paul makes this statement in, in 1 Corinthians 5. Let's go back there. When he says you need to deliver an individual up, it is because Paul, even though he says in, in the verse right before it, I'm not there, but I'm present in spirit. I, have, I know enough to make this decision here. First of all, I think Paul knows that this individual is not willing to stop his behavior because the Corinthian church is glorying in it. Secondly, I believe Paul knows that it's becoming a reputation as that it is commonly reported that they have this kind of behavior in their church. So that leads him to the decision of, it's better for this person to be out of your ministry and not have an opportunity to continue it if he doesn't want to stop than to potentially continue to damage your work and the work of the gospel. Look what it says in verse uh, 9. I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or with idolaters, uh, for then must ye needs go out of the world. Paul's not saying, I, I, I told you to stay away from fornicators, but he's not saying, not to the extent that you don't operate in the world because it's called the world because it's full of sin. So he's not saying, if you have the attitude of, I'm not going to touch a sinner ever again, I'm not going to talk to a sinner ever again, it, you might as well peace out of the world. Because <laughs> there's, there's sinners everywhere. Sin, sin abounds. Iniquity abounds. But for the believers, for those who are in this body of Christ, we have to make sure that we are guarding that work, guarding that ministry. Look what it says in verse 11. But now I have written unto you not to keep company, if any man is called a brother, someone who has believed on the Lord, they're a part of this body of Christ, and they be a fornicator, or a covetous, or an idolater, or a railard, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such an one, no not to eat. Now, why would he say no not to eat? Well, look in verse 8. 
Therefore, let us keep the feast. I believe this is a reference to what was happening at the Lord's Supper. You know in 1 Corinthians 11 that they're getting drunk, that they got a whole spread. Can you imagine if next week's communion was a buffet line of your favorite food? Let us remember the Lord's death. And plates are over here, y'all. Don't forget your drink cups on your way out. That's not what the Lord's Supper is intended to do. It is to remind us, recenter us, revive us, refresh about the Lord's death. But what's happening in, in the Corinthian church? People are cutting one another because their interests, you know, like, you know, cutting in line to get into food and have a, uh, have a bunch of food. And Paul says, can't you do that at home? Can't you eat what you want at home? This is to remember the Lord's body, remember the Lord's blood. Keep that feast. And they could not continue to do that with this kind of character in their ministry. So here's the application for you and me. Let's read again uh, in, in verse 11. Not to keep company. That doesn't mean that we become inspectors of people and we say, well, um, you lied this week, so I'm sorry, I cannot keep company with you. I believe what Paul is saying here is a person who is knowingly doing behavior that is publicly seen amongst people in the ministry, that person should not be in the ministry for long. And this is, this is a hard thing to do, but this is why it's called church discipline. It's not your job as the, the, the members of the church to say, I saw so-and-so at the bar the other day, we need to discipline them. That, that, that's not how we go out and live our lives. But there will become times, and I think they're very evident, when, when a person's sin is exposed, that it needs to be addressed. It needs to follow the correct line of addressing. And if it gets to the point where it needs to be brought before the church, so be it, it will be brought before the church. I have yet to see that, because one of two things happen. People leave, or they get it right. I love to see the last part. But sadly, I've seen that less than I've seen the people leave part. And it hurts. It's not fun. Sometimes there's a reputation that is given to pastors that we are egomaniacs that are just looking to crush people because we have sin in our own lives and we want to get it out on, on somebody else. Or we are so unreasonable uh, and we, are ju we just run such a tight ship that there's, there's no room for error. That is not true. At least when I speak of myself, I'm a very loving person. I don't want people to leave the ministry. I also don't want to, people to live in a way that will bring them to judgment. I'll give you an illustration. I was just talking with a young man the other day. He got kicked out of his house. I got kicked out of my house when I was 18 years old. You know why? Because I was disobedient. Because even though I was an adult in the eyes of the law... The Bible says to honor thy mother and father. Well, my, father, uh, my mother passed away. My father was still alive, and I was not honoring him. I wasn't doing what I was supposed to do. I was not bringing honor to him with the things I said or did. I was living my own life, and I was being blatantly disrespectful to him. Jesse, you? Yeah, me. I did that a lot with my dad. And it reached a point where I was asked to leave, and I left. And I blamed him and, you know, all, you know, the blame game like we were talking about this morning. And after nine months of me being out on my own somewhere, 
I met with my dad again, and we had a great rekindling of our relationship that's lasted well into today because I had a renewed perspective. But I had a, a young man call me late at night and say, I, you know, I got kicked out, and I was aware of the situation a little bit. And so I called his uh, mom, and we talked. She didn't call me until much later in the evening. And I talked to her along with Kyla, and then the next day I, I talked to this young man, and I said, have you been skipping school? He said, remember I was talking about this morning, you know when someone's presence comes into the room? He didn't expect me to know that. But I had talked with his mother. Yeah, I'm skipping school. Were you caught by the principal? Yes. It's my job to lovingly correct him. And I didn't say, you're so foolish. You're going to amount to nothing. I said, son, God loves you. And he's going to discipline you when you need to be disciplined. You need to be careful that you're not about to make a decision that could affect the rest of your life because you think you're right or you've justified your circumstances. You are always supposed to honor your mother and father. And based on what you have told me and what your parents have told me, you haven't done that. And I told him it's not my job to come alongside the child and help them disobey the parent. It's my job to come alongside the parent and help the child understand something that they need a little enlightenment on. But I had to tell him, you need to correct this behavior because God is going to discipline you. That's my heart. I don't want to see this young man stop coming to ranch. I'm not going to tell him to stop coming to ranch unless he's doing something illegal. And very rarely have we had to kick out kids, only two. And they're, they're still great kids. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I just talked to one recently. He's leading people to Christ where he lives. I think that's great. But it's my heart to get, these, to get people that are doing wrong to do right. And trust me, if I'm not careful, my sinful nature will come out and I want to discipline a person because I can get mad and I can get angry. But I have to make sure that I protect those things, that, 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 I, that I look at those feelings that I have and say, that's not how the Lord wants me to deal with this. Restore such a one. But there comes a time where the individual doesn't want to be restored. And it's a sad time because many times it leads to them being asked to leave. Is it a fun thing? No. What's the lesson here? Don't sin. Don't do things that cause discipline. And I, I, I know it's like, don't sin. <laughs> Learn to walk in the Spirit. Do right. When you're tempted to do wrong, be made aware of that and don't serve in that capacity. Very quickly, because we have a little bit of time, in the men's Bible study yesterday, we talked about this very thing, about the old man and the new man. Commonly, people think that there's this little man inside of you that makes you do wrong. And so when you do wrong, you hear the phrase, well, the devil made me do it. People don't really think the devil made you do it, but they really think that they were not the ones that did it. They think, well, it's just... I am who I am. Well, stop doing that. Because <laughs> you can. You can't stop doing that. 
When you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you have a new capacity. You have a new option. You're still one person. There's one will within you. You still have one mind. How are you going to use your mind? The Bible has no word for brain. Pretty interesting. It's got several different uses for the word mind. This is a tool, okay? It can be used for good. It can be used for bad. Think of a pocket knife. You can open packages with a pocket knife. If you want to be silly and do something really bad, you could hurt someone with a pocket knife too. It's not the pocket knife's fault. <laughs> it's, the, it's the operator. How many times when we see a tragedy in this company that, or, excuse me, in this country that happens because of guns, do we want to legislate the guns away? If a person wants to kill somebody, if they can't get their hands on a gun, first of all, they'll find a way to, to, to get a gun, but they'll find another tool. In England, I think, not too long after a tragedy here in, in America where firearms were involved, some man went on a killing spree with a knife. If people, it's people that are the problem. The point I'm making here is we all have the ability to choose the flesh or the spirit. How do you know how to choose the flesh? Because it's who you are. It's a part of your nature. It is the first response. We're at a disadvantage in that way. So now when we trust Christ, we have this new response that we haven't learned yet. How do we learn it? Through the study of God's Word. Through the washing of the Word of God. But unfortunately, you just see this closed. Do you guys understand what I mean by that? This Bible is just, there's a couple verses that people learn, but they don't learn books. I tell our kids that are real serious about serving the Lord, read a whole book in one sitting. Just try it. Read 1 Corinthians in one sitting. The scope of the book opens up. You're reading the letter as it was intended. I'm helping Dr. Phil Myers develop a website called Bible by Paragraphs. And there's almost a little bit of a damage, now this is just a personal opinion, to studying the Bible in verse form. Because the verses are not, man, are, uh, they're, they're not inspired. The, the structure of it, that's man-made. Studying a book for the whole thing like it was a letter can be very profitable. I'm not saying that's the only way to study the Scripture, but it's a great way to get the whole picture. And unfortunately, in a lot of Christian circles, the Bible gets put on the shelf and platitudes abound and cute phrases abound and stories and feel-good things and, ooh, that sounds good and it would make a great Instagram post or a Facebook quote, but what is it really? When you pull it back, there's just fluff there. So the, the application here, as we're about to wrap up, Paul is saying there's going to be a time where you've got to take a person out. Specifically, Corinthian believers, this sin needs to be addressed. And he has a bridge here into chapter 6, where chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, which we'll cover that next week, talks about taking other believers um, to court, how and why that is wrong. But he says here in verse 12, he gets into that a little bit, but wraps up this topic by saying, for what have I to do to judge them also that are without. 
God is the one that judges the lost man. And Paul is saying, what do I have to do with those that are without the body of Christ? Do not ye judge them that are within? We are supposed to be the ones that keep each other accountable with each other. But them that are without, God judgeth. Verse 13. Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. It's a hard statement, but it's because that individual doesn't want to get right. And you have to be careful. I have seen it. Where people stick around with an individual that is stuck in sin, and it's not long before they're, they're out of sorts too. Sin is contagious. You may not go into the same sin that that person is, but you will find yourself outside of obedience very soon. Identify and structure yourselves with what God's Word says. The last thing I, I want to focus on here for a second when this was written, this is the first letter that went to the Corinthian church. In Corinthians, Second uh, Corinthians, this man is restored, I believe. I believe the Corinthian church understood it. And they got right. This, this man was, it was brought to his attention and he got right. Isn't that a good thing? That should be celebrated. That should be the way that it goes. But what did the Corinthian church do? They obeyed. After they received this scathing review and set of instructions from Paul, they obeyed. And you know what? It led to that man changing his behavior. Not for salvation, but for service. We've got to be careful that we are not deceiving ourselves in our sin. And not saying, well, you know, I'm a child of God, so I can sin it up. I've heard people say that, and I don't mean this as a joke. It causes me concern when I'm, when I'm around them. Because I go, this person's attitude is saying, I can do whatever I want because I'm a child of God. That person is waiting for, I mean, judgment is, is, is coming on that individual. And that'll be from the Lord. But that's not a person that I want teaching Sunday school class. That's not a person I want pastoring my church because they're not understanding the Word of God and the applications of it. This is why, too, I think it's important that you know, Sunday school teachers and elders and deacons and even the pastor of the church agrees to the doctrinal statement of, of the church. Calvary Community Church's doctrinal statement, if you go on calvaryatampa.org and look at it, it's lengthy. And we've gotten a lot of good comments about that. Because a lot of other churches, it's copy and paste. I think we go like A through G not G, it's even further than that. Point A, point B, point C, point D. I mean, it's a long list, and it's good. And we want people to see that. We take the Bible as the sole authority, and this is what we believe the Bible teaches. If you want to teach in Sunday school, i got to make sure you agree to what's happening here. But also, if you want to teach in Sunday school, i got to make sure you're not going out to the bars and getting lit up Saturday night. And if I do find those things out, there needs to be a conversation. Well, you don't love them. Actually, quite the contrary. I do love them. And that's why things need to be handled. But church discipline is very real. It can be done wrongly. It can be done correctly. But the attitude should be to restore such a one. But if a person doesn't want to be restored, they need to be removed.
I think that's a good study. It's not, like I said, it's kind of like ripping the Band-Aid off because it's like, ouchie. You know, culturally, we're like, Whoa. but it's okay. This is, this is God's Word, and I rest in that. Let me share with you the gospel message, the greatest news in all the world. Never get tired of doing this. This hand represents you and me. My wallet represents sin. I'll put this on top of my hand because we've all sinned. God, he loves us, hates our sin because it separates us from him. In order to go to heaven, we have to be perfect, just like God, but we're not. We all fall short. That's why we have sin. If we were to pay for one sin, we'd have to be eternally separated from God forever in a place called hell. No amount of good works can save us. Not of works, lest any man should boast, says Ephesians 2.9. 2.8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. What does that mean? If we can't save ourselves, what could possibly be the gift of God? His Son, Jesus Christ. This hand will represent Jesus. He was perfect. He had no sin. He was fully God and fully man. The Bible says the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus. And on the cross, he took all of your sin, paid for it, was buried, and rose again three days later. Why is this important? Because the sin that condemned you was put on Jesus. He paid the price of death, came back from the dead to show that it was accepted. So if Jesus paid for all the sin of all the world, well, why do people still, when they die, go to hell? It's because they have not believed whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life that's a part of john 3 16 so can a person know that they're going to heaven yes how believe on the lord jesus christ specifically that he paid for your sin the moment you do that you have eternal life you enter into a wonderful family who had the the father of this family is great he is perfect he is loving all these different things happen, but you're going to still struggle with your sin. And that's not, that's not a marker that you're not saved. It's a marker that you're a sinner. We sang that song this morning, or uh, uh, this, this evening, only a sinner saved by grace. We're not singing, now I'm a saint, never to sin. You know, that's not, check it, that's not how that was written. <laughs> but you can know for sure that you're going to heaven when you die. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Father, I ask you to help us to understand how heavy and damaging sin is in our lives. Lord, we can very easily, if we're not careful, just continue to justify sinful behavior. You know each and every one of us here in, in the auditorium tonight and those on the live stream, and I pray that you would convict us, search us, if there be any wicked way in us, Make it known to us, Lord, and I pray that we'd be willing to fix that behavior. We also pray for our leaders in churches around the world, leaders of clear ministries that have to make sometimes difficult decisions. I pray, Lord, that we would all have a spirit of meekness, humble ourselves, lest we are tempted to fall into sin. Thank you for forgiveness, though, Father because we will still sin and we will still have problems, but you will continue to forgive us, as 1 John 1, 9 says, and we're thankful for that truth. Bless us, Lord, as we go out and into our workplaces, our households. 
bless the efforts of these uh, tracks that were printed up and bless the event that's going to happen this Saturday. I pray, Lord, that we would be able to lawfully elude security so that we would be able to reach people for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you enjoyed today's episode of Bible Line, make sure to subscribe to the channel and share this video with a friend. Do you have a Bible question? Send us an email, questions at BibleLineMinistries.org, and we'll do our best to get you an answer. Or you can leave your question in the comments of this video. Be sure to check the links in the description for more clear Bible teaching. Bible Line is a ministry of Calvary Community Church located in Tampa, Florida.